Over the weekend, I went to Pittsburgh to check in on Donald Trump's presidential campaign. If there are any protesters, excuse me, if there are any disruptors inside, let us know. We will take care of it. Do not engage them, okay? In a private hangar at the Pittsburgh International Airport on Saturday, Trump appeared at one of his signature rallies, the things that have really come to define his presidential campaign. Supporters wait for hours to see Trump's famous 757 touch down on the runway. Then they cheer as it taxis slowly through the airport until it eventually stops just feet away from a podium set up for Trump right at the end of the stairs. That uh, theme from Air Force One's been playing on repeat since he landed. Trump comes out, makes a speech, and flies off to his next stop. The whole thing is pretty dramatic. Now, was that a pretty dramatic entrance in all fairness? Made in America, everybody. Made in America. Trump's crowd in Pittsburgh was big, but it wasn't huge. That was a story all weekend. BuzzFeed News had reporters at Trump stops in Richmond, Virginia, and Tampa, Florida, as well as in Pittsburgh, where I was. No one reported very large crowds or large groups of protesters. Now, there are sure to be more incidents where Trump supporters and protesters clash, but that didn't happen this weekend. That said, Trump drew big crowds not that long ago, and people definitely still want to protest him. Meanwhile, Trump has found it harder and harder to rally the establishment Republican Party to his cause lately. Here's Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. It's time to quit attacking various people that you competed with or various minority groups in the country and get on message. He has an opportunity to do that. Here's House Speaker Paul Ryan on Face the Nation earlier this week. Hopefully this is a learning experience. Hopefully, you know, we can learn from this and move forward with a better tone and a campaign that everybody can be proud of that unifies people, that doesn't divide people. Trump has also come under withering attacks from Democrats. is not just unprepared. He is temperamentally unfit to hold an office that requires knowledge, stability, and immense responsibility. Everyone is wondering what this guy is going to do next. But what is it like to really be for that guy? A candidate who makes racist remarks, someone who is so polarizing He can't win the full support of the people who lead his own party. This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro. Today, what is it like to be a Trump supporter right now at this point in the campaign? Joining me is Tarini Party, BuzzFeed News reporter covering the Republican primary and presidential campaign. She went to the rally in Tampa... That was right before the rally I went to in Pittsburgh, and she spoke to a bunch of Trump supporters there. So, Tarini, welcome. Thanks for having me, Evan. Now, you are our first, I believe, back-to-back guest host. You have done it. You do, you were on the first episode, all the way back, talking about Bernie and his money. Yep, this now is very different. Now we're talking about Trump yeah. and his supporters. Yes. So, get me right. So, Tampa, that was before my rally, right? Yes, it was in the morning. Was it the same thing? Was it like a airport hangar type deal? It was at a, at the Tampa Convention Center. So the people going actually had a really nice view. Um, it was a hot day, but it was very Florida. 
and <laughs> so it was hot, very hot. Yeah, I got even I got sunburned, so that's how hot it was. So he flew in. So for your rally, he flew in, left the airport, drove to the convention center. I'm the one that got the little flyby stop. Yeah, I didn't get to see the plane. It's a big plane. Um, all right, so Trump's current campaign. He won the nomination in Indiana like about a month ago, right? So what's that month been like? So Trump's campaign right now is still about tapping into the anger, frustration, and fear that a decent chunk of the electorate is still feeling. Um, but that is, you know, a, a portion of the electorate. And his goal right now is to reach, you know, beyond that. And he's sort of been struggling this past month to do that. We saw that he said just uh, a few weeks ago that uh, this judge was in, essentially incapable of being unbiased because of his Hispanic heritage. And then we've seen him now sort of take a victory lap after these uh, this terrorist a- attack in Orlando, essentially saying that, you know, I said this was going to happen, attacks like this, and, you know, on, going on Twitter and congratulating himself. One thing that's interesting, in his earliest days, he was, like, attacking Republicans a lot. Like, like he won— the nomination, and then turned around and called Mitt Romney a penguin, right? <laughs> yep. And then he attacked uh, the Republican governor of New Mexico because she didn't attend his rally in Albuquerque. So this is it's important, I think, to put in perspective like what campaigns usually do after they win the nomination. They don't attack other Republicans, that's for sure. <laughs> right, but like what's the goal? So, so you, you win the nomination, you win a divisive primary, what do you try to do after that, like generally? You have to unify the party. And he did the opposite of that by, as you mentioned, attacking these other Republicans. Uh, so, you know, he did sit down with Paul Ryan. He did Speaker some of the House. Speaker of the House. He did do some meetings on the Hill. You know, he was really trying to make an effort early on. Um, but with these comments, uh, you know, one of uh, a senator told me recently, you see glimmers of, you know, this general election Trump candidate. And then that quickly disappears. So everyone's, you know, left scratching their heads. You know, which guy is going to show up? You were on Capitol Hill today, which is like one of the first days they've been back in a while. Well, uh, they've been here, but they, they were gone for the weekend. But they today was the day when they actually sit down for lunch and they kind of talk about things, including Trump. And what did they say about Trump? There, what, what are these Republicans on Capitol Hill, many of whom are facing reelection? All of, all of them in the House are, obviously, mm-hmm. but many in the Senate are as well. What do they say when reporters like you go up and ask them about Donald Trump? Well, a lot of them try to run away. If you do catch them, uh, a lot of them are now saying there's a moratorium on Trump-related questions. So Senator John Cornyn, who's the number two Republican in the Senate, has been saying that for a few weeks now. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, in his press conference today, uh, said he's not taking any Trump questions to Trump-related questions today. This is not a very common thing. If you want to get Democratic senators to talk about Hillary Clinton... That's not too hard to do, I imagine. It's not, especially right now. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty easy. They all want to talk about how great she's doing, and they also all want to quickly turn against Trump. Let's talk about this actual weekend because we were both fortunate to be on the road. At... So fortunate. I was not. I mean, I, I had fun. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I had fun. Yeah. There's a plane. Okay, I like that. There's a huge plane that lands. It comes in. They 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 put the Air Force One soundtrack. Comes out. He pops open, the door pops open. Also, I really like talking to voters a lot. It's like super cheesy sounding. Like I really enjoy talking to voters because they know things about the election that you never hear 
inside Washington, like ever. So I, I, I had not been out with, I'd done some Trump stuff earlier in the cycle, spent most of my time in the Democratic primary, but it was nice to get out there and talk to some Trump voters. So what was your general sense of your crowd in Tampa? So I was expecting Tampa to be um, a little bit more exciting on the outside. You know, there was a long line to get in, uh, but really only a handful of protesters. A lot of the pro- a lot of the supporters who were there um, were obviously, you know, major Trump supporters. They had fun T-shirts and merchandise on um, supporting Trump. Uh, but some of them actually did tell me that they don't agree with 100 percent of things that he says. He, you know, one person said Trump isn't perfect, but or, you know, another said he's obviously a showman. But, you know, and so that's how they started a lot of uh, when I asked them questions about why they were supporting Trump and, you know, pressed them on some of these recent comments Trump had made. That's kind of how they responded. Another th- thing I noticed was that crooked Hillary message really is spreading and, and you know, his it really does energize his his base, his supporters. Um, everyone mentioned crooked Hillary when they were talking about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, you're right about this idea of the uh, the message really resonating because I talked to all different kinds of voters at this, uh, all different ages of voters, including these very very young voters. Uh, well, not voters actually. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Brayden. One of them was wearing a Trump mask. I'm 10. I'm 12. I'm 9. So, 9. You said under that Trump So, obviously, you're not really going to be voting this time. But if you could vote, would you vote for Trump? Yeah. Why? It's because he's not a liar, such as uh, Hillary. Hillary lies a lot. She, she should be in jail for the things that she's already done. I want him to build the wall. So. I agree with her. They're more on message than Donald Trump. The third kid who's in a Trump mask says, like, underneath, like, I agree with both of them. Because there's a like Trump mask <laughs> on, which he wouldn't take off. Yeah. So I think that that's right about the idea of everybody sort of sort of connecting. I thought it was amazing was actually some of the pageantry of it, because I had not been, because you mentioned the whole thing with, like, the buttons and the T-shirts yeah. and all that. Um, what's amazing to me was his playlist. He played, like, before the, the, the thing starts, it's like a classic rock station from the 90s that I remember yeah. from the 90s. But a lot of um, Elton John. Oh, yeah. Like, I heard Tiny Dancer Ten- so yes. many times. And then what's that What's that song? Like the for, like the three tenors or something? It's like... Dun, 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 <laughs> dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 Right? That, yeah. that song played r- randomly. It it's a amazing. carefully crafted playlist. It for is. Sure. It clearly <laughs> is. It clearly is. Anyway, I really talked to a lot of people who came out and waited for hours to hear Donald Trump speak. And I want to play you some tape from that. Because when you ask people why they like Trump, a lot of them say it's because he's going to, you know, make America great again. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly what that meant. Okay, so why are you out here for Trump today? Well, we're here to support Trump and make America great again. Yeah, I mean, right, the slogan, right. But what what do you like about him so much? I like uh, he, he doesn't pull any punches, tells it like it is, and we need somebody like that. Absolutely. Uh, Who needs to be told like it is? Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, we got We have a we have serious financial problems in this world and in our country, and uh, we need to, you know, address these issues. Uh, so, um, why are you here for Donald Trump today? Because we love him. Why do you love him so much? Because he's going to make this country great again. 
Sure, I mean that's what his slogan says. But like, I mean, what fires you up about Donald Trump? I mean, what, what, like when you see him speak, what does it, what does it get you? We're like-minded, you know. I think we need to keep the Muslims uh, at bay. What are you worried about with Muslims? That they're going to cut my head off, <laughs> possibly. And if they don't have Trump, that might happen more. You think? Hell yeah. What's Trump going to do? Uh, he's going to stop the uh, uh, inflow of uh, of the Muslims of all these immigrants. And we need to stop it anyway because it's totally destroying our country, our economy. That last person was Addie Gonzalez. She drove to Pittsburgh from Ohio for the rally. She's a person who is clearly not upset about Trump's comments against Muslims. So I talked to a lot of voters. Another guy I talked to, his name is Gordon Meddy. He's a Trump supporter who really does not care at all for his party's reluctance to wholeheartedly endorse his candidate for president. A bunch of crybabies didn't get their get their chosen candidates in, and uh, it was it was ugly for a while. Now they're starting to rally behind him. And do you think Trump is good for the GOP? For the GOP itself, probably not, because it's the the old guard. It's not good for that. It's good, I think, good for the country, not good for the party necessarily. Are most of your friends for Trump too? No, not not really very many of them. What's that like? Do you do you guys get into a lot of discussions about it? Do you talk about it very much? Not really. I think half half my kids are for Bernie or Hillary, and half are for Trump. How many kids do you have? Six. So and you pretty much evenly split six kids. Wow, it's like a little caucus in your house. But he was actually there. The reason why he was at this rally in Pittsburgh was because he drove there with his son, Michael, who I also talked to about this. And I asked why he came all the way down, why he wanted his dad to drive him on a beautiful Saturday uh, from Ohio to Pittsburgh to listen to Donald Trump. Just because once in a lifetime thing, see him. How old are you? 17. So are you going to be able to vote in November? No. No. Tell me about... Being 17, because like, so I've been on the road covering the campaign for a long time. Most people I meet who are your age are for Bernie. You're a Trump guy. So tell me, are most of your friends for Trump too? No. Mostly like Hillary, Bernie. So what do they say to you about being for Trump? That I'm a racist. What, how does that make you feel? <laughs> no. <laughs> it doesn't affect me. doesn't affect you at all? No. I mean, it's kind of a tough thing to call somebody. I don't care. So this is something that really was, to me, I don't know if you found this in, in, in Tampa, but to me, really resonated was that I asked a lot of people uh, this question of what do your friends say about this? Mm-hmm. And they all said, oh, my friends don't think I'm a racist. And I said, what does it mean? What, how does it feel to be called a racist? And they say, yeah, it doesn't bother me. does not bother me. These people are signing up for Trump and being at Trump rally, and they know that by being there, people that they know in their daily lives are going to call them racist. And they're having to think about that all the time. That's not something that happens at a lot of, for a lot of campaigns either, I don't think. Yeah, but they also sort of thrive on that because they're not politically correct. So that's why they're, they're drawn to Donald Trump. So they're sort of proud of that. Um, so, you know, the people I talk to don't, yeah, they don't exactly, they don't care uh, what their friends think. Yeah, this thing about politically correct, I wanted to drill in on that as much as I could because this is such a driving force. And it's one of those vague terms, right? It's like vague. It's like, what do you mean when you hear politically correct what are you really talking about? So I talked to this guy, Jeff Hensler, who was actually it was actually pretty funny. He was sitting there on the side of the rally, 
And he stood out because he did not look like your average Trump supporter at all. And I got to ask you about this shirt. I think you might be the only person I've seen wearing a tie-dye shirt at a uh, Donald Trump rally. Tell, tell me about that. So I figured I'd stand out a little bit. Jeff told me that he feels like the rest of the Republican Party has really left him behind. So I guess we live in a multicultural world, don't we? Okay. And so you have all these groups out there. You have the LGBT group. You have the African-American group. You have the Latinos. You have the Asians. You have the Muslims. And then there's the white people. Now, white people represent many different kinds and creeds, religious, religiously and politically. But yet it seems like every other ethnicity that I mention, other than the last one, seems to get a, you know, get a free card to say whatever they want and be completely accepted. But whenever I and many other people that might be sympathetic to, to the larger group of people say something, automatically it's racist. It's hypocritical and it's wrong. It's immoral and it's really cowardly. And I think that uh, we all need to be Americans. I think that America has the capability of, uh, historically, of being a melting pot for people, for a better day, for a better tomorrow, and for the American dream. And yet, it seems like all this cultural malaise that we've just been talking about has served to really destroy the very thing that made America great. And that's why I think Donald Trump and his theme, his marketing thing, Make, Make America Great Again, uh, has touched off a firestorm. Which is why Trump feels like he actually has a shot in states like Wisconsin, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, where he can target these white male people who feel like they've been left behind by the Republican Party uh, and the country in general and just aren't, you know, in, in the same place. And he's echoing what they've been feeling for a long time. So, you know, they helped support him in the primary. And if those people come out in large numbers, maybe Trump can be competitive. So there are plenty of women there, too. Uh, Jeff Hensler is an older guy. They're, they're mostly men at this rally, the one that I was at anyway. Mostly white men. That's totally true. But there were plenty of women. And what about you, ma'am? What's your name? Uh, Linda Mistovich. Who also had a lot to say about political correctness. It's time to stop. Things have gotten so far out of hand. It's just gone way too far overboard as far as anything goes. Entitlements, immigration, political correctness. How does the political correctness thing affect your life in a day-to-day -day basis? In a day-to-day -day basis, it affects it very well. You can't, you can't say without offending anybody. You can't speak an opinion anymore. You're not allowed to have an opinion. And as far as that goes, tolerance, the only thing that you're allowed to tolerate is left issues. They have to be tolerated. If you're coming from the right, you're not, it's, it's hate, it's bigotry, it's intolerance. So people that come from faith-based values, you're not allowed to have an opinion. Even if you express it nicely and politely and kindly, you're just not allowed to have that opinion. And that's not right. How does it make you feel like on a day-to-day -day basis? Does it make you feel like pressure or sad or angry? I mean, what is that, what's the result of that kind of world? I feel bad. America's not the country that it used to be because of that. We are, it's just not, there's no pride in America anymore. They're teaching, I've got a, a child entering high school, and they're not teaching America as a great country. They're teaching America as bigotry, as hatred, as intolerant, as submissive. That's not the way our country was born. Our veterans, our, our soldiers don't fight for that. They fight for freedom. They fight for freedom of speech. But the only people that are allowed to have freedom of speech are the left wing. And they're raising a whole generation of kids. We're with our kids for three or four hours a day at home. They go to school for eight hours. 
It's the world has changed, and I don't want my child. She's been raised in a post 9/11 world. She's never known pre 9/11, and I don't want my. I want my child to know pre 9/11, and at the rate that we're going now, it's never going to happen. For people like Linda Mistovich, making America great again means literally going back in time. Pre 9/11, in this case, and what you're hearing is all of that couched in language about political correctness. And you hear a lot of it. It's not, I mean, you hear, you don't hear a lot of the job stuff that people talk about. You hear a lot of this kind of stuff. Is that, is that fair from your? Definitely. One thing, one funny story from Tampa, uh, there was a lady kind of standing by as people were going in and giving kind of a running commentary on the phone to, I assume, a friend or someone on sort of the racial and gender breakdown of the people trying to get in. So she looked right at me and said, some Indian, maybe Mexican type looking people, uh, you know, I saw two black people. A lot of women. And so I, I tried to catch up with her to see, you know, what why she was doing that. But um, she didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> but, Some Indian or maybe Mexican. Mexican. Yeah. But also. So, OK, so political correctness, political correctness is definitely driving this. But as we heard from those kids, those kids, as I mentioned, the wall, the border is still a huge thing. You got a much more interesting quote about the border than I think I've heard from a lot of people ever. So I was talking to a lady just and, uh, you know, I was talking to her about a a totally different thing about money and Trump. And she decides to just keep on going uh, as her husband was, you know, trying to tug her. He was getting antsy. He wanted to keep going. Um, But uh, she obviously moved on to the wall and the border um, and then said, you know, it's not just the Mexicans that uh, that need to we need to keep out. Uh, it's also the Polish. I know a few Polish families who've come in through the southern border. And I had to clarify, you know, Polish. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I know a few uh, Polish families who've done that. So she wants a border wall built to keep Polish people out. Well, also the Mexicans. Right. But in, but in, in addition, in addition, you know, it's, she said all illegal immigrants, but. She's heard a rise in the, these Polish uh, illegal immigrants coming in through the southern border. So that's also her concern. It's just such a motivating part of that conversation and and, and uh, of those people. I mean, they, they really know a lot about the border or, or they know what they know about the border. I mean, a lot of what they know is not factually correct, but they do think about the border a lot. I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania. I was very far from the border. Yeah. And and you were in Tampa, Florida, which is, I guess, closer to the border. Yeah. But, you know, Trump opens his uh, his stump speech, essentially, with this. And the crowd kind of shouts back at him. He said he says, we're going to build a wall. And then the crowd cheers. And then he says, who's going to pay for it? And then, the you know, the Mexico, the crowd yells right. back. So right. um, that's the key part of his um, candidacy. And they love it. And and, and you mentioned in that some people that you talked to were distancing themselves a little bit or feeling a little bit like they don't want to embrace him wholly. I actually had a great conversation with this guy, Jeff D'Alessio, who actually supported Rand Paul, the libertarian, at the beginning of this whole thing. Rand Paul supporters are kind of like, sure, the Bernie bros are the, of the Republican Party. <laughs> These are not people who you, who you would expect necessarily to be for Trump, actually. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're more the libertarian mm-hmm. cut. Um, but this guy is going for Trump. You uh, vote for him because he's like the, he's like the compromise candidate. He's, everyone has to compromise some of their ideals to basically follow Trump. And it's a, it's a gradual process, um, you know, supporting Trump. It takes a while for you to actually become a Trump supporter. You have to, like, get used to his new, you know, 
his new how he acts out in public, you know. So what do you mean by that? Tell me more about that. Like you know, he's not your average politician. There's no, there's never really been a politician like him. So, I mean, it, it took me a while to get used to him. But after you get used to him, you become a Trump supporter. It's not so bad. Like you realize we're all just average Americans here. There's no like, you know, radicals here. I mean, uh, you know, it might be a majority of people here are white, but it doesn't mean we're racist. It's just I guess it's how white America feels right now. Um, a lot of that, I mean, that racial anger among uh, these white Americans uh, is a big part of this. I mean, I was there was a lot of it there that I found, and you seem like you found us a lot of the same. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, it, it is related to uh, illegal immigration and jobs, and this message is still his primary uh, campaign message, though. And, uh, you know, it's helping his base, but again, he's not really expanding his his supporters. You know, that's the the kind of also a problem with this general election pivot here, because if he does actually change, he might start losing some of his base, you know, core supporters who, you know, get on Twitter and like seeing all his rants. And also, there's still a long, a long general election to run. And Republicans do like to really attack Hillary Clinton. And they have viewed her from the very beginning as a weak candidate when the reason there was 17 people in the race is because Republicans thought they could act, they could really beat her. They felt like they could, and uh, there's plenty of stuff to run against her on, and maybe he's hoping for that. But that's another that's another area, right, where the party has hoped that he would be more focused on her, right, and less talking about sort of Judge Curiel, yeah. who's not running for president. Yes. And honestly, I mean, I think based on my conversations with a lot of these Republicans, I think they're starting to just give up hope that he's ever going to actually change that much. And his supporters, I think, maybe rely on that. Like, like they actually like that. And they, they love that. He's, you know, going against the establishment. He's not the typical candidate. Um, a lot of the people I talked to in Tampa uh, said, you know, like I mentioned, that he's not perfect, but they said they had decided they wanted to back an outsider this time around because they're tired of the politicians. They've, you know, they voted for politicians in the past and they haven't done anything. So they want to try out something new. And and Donald Trump is the only outsider and the exact opposite of Hillary Clinton, who all of these people view as sort of the epitome of the career politician. But also it's also a reason why it's hard for someone like Mitch McConnell or someone to say publicly like, hey, he needs to rein it in because his supporters are like, no, he doesn't. And, you know, his, like you. his core base are the same people who want Mitch McConnell out of office. Uh, so, you know, for now, Mitch McConnell isn't taking any Trump questions. And <laughs> I don't think he you know, he's going to he has five more months to go. So they'd like to just not take any more questions about yeah. for right now, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 wild. Um, so this idea of a teleprompter now that the Republican idea is that like when he uses a teleprompter, it shows that he's listening, right? He's paying mm -hmm. attention and he's using them a lot more. Yeah. And he's definitely gotten better at using it. But the point of using the teleprompter is that you kind of stay on message. You stick to kind of the pre-approved language. Um, but in Donald Trump's case, he doesn't really do that. So even though he's reading prepared remarks, he kind of goes off script a decent amount uh, and says certain things. Um, for example, the prepared remarks said that it was in Orlando, it was the shooter's parents who were born in Afghanistan, and he was born, the shooter was born in the United States. But he definitely tweaked that 
uh, <laughs> when he actually delivered the speech and made it sound like um, the, the the shooter was born in Afghanistan and not the United States. So <laughs> this is actually a storyline from the very first moment he started running for president. Because I recall when he was giving the speech, the infamous speech where he said, "You know, they're coming over our borders." They're criminals, they're rapists, that whole thing mm-hmm. that sort of started the train of people being really horrified by him, a lot of people being really horrified by him. I remember reading the tweets of reporters who had gotten the prepared remarks. They were all like, his prepared remarks were actually pretty good. Like, yeah. they were they were actually pretty on, on message, and they were economic-focused, and mm-hmm. he just went off and did this other thing, which, as you mentioned with the wall cheer, that ad lib might be one of the most successful ad libs in American political history. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, Donald Trump is has run his own campaign and continues to run his own campaign. He he's his own campaign manager. He's his own spokesperson. He's doing it all. Yeah, I mean, that's right. But something else is also happening, too, that I think we should na- make sure that we mention, which is we didn't see it over the weekend. But there has been this organized protest movement that has at times gotten violent. And that has proven to be a pretty good day for Trump in terms of. Even skeptical conservatives are so offended by seeing this kind of protest movement where, where people who support Trump are attacked, which I think, you know, is valid. That that should never happen. Mm-hmm. And the police have prosecuted people. And, you know, that's what happened in San Jose, California, sort of the, the latest one recently. But I remember in, in, in Chicago, what happened during the primary, too, they shut, they shut him down. This is a potential to be a positive storyline for Trump. If he runs into another bunch of these rallies where protesters are getting violent, it kind of wipes a lot of the negative stuff that he says off the map and turns some of the election conversation into, you know, are, are people being prosecuted for their political views? And is that a fair thing? You know, it, it shouldn't be unsafe to be a Trump supporter physically, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it drives home his message of political correctness. You know, that's his sort of bread and butter with this campaign. And if his supporters are getting attacked, he can just bring that up, you know, again and again. But Democrats are starting to sort of make the point that he is so divisive that, you know, this violence shows how divisive he is. And that is a problem, uh, you know, when you're running for president. So they're sort of, you know, playing around with their sort of messaging when these uh, protests happen. We are, you know, probably going to see some more of these protests. Potentially a lot more of them in Cleveland, yeah, where the, the where the Republican convention is. Yeah. A lot of these protesters are still sort of figuring out the best way to organize. Um, I talked to the protesters in Tampa. There were only a handful of them there, but um, you know, they said the reason they weren't able to get more people out is because they had such short notice, and that's I think one thing that the Trump campaign potentially has done. Um, you know, he doesn't give that much notice. There's no time to sort of prep uh, for for this event. And they said in the future, ideally, they want to be able to shut down the Trump event before it starts. So, you know, they're still working on organizing and maybe we'll see more of that in the coming weeks. So they do want to they still do want to see that kind of thing where Trump can't talk because they're out there. Yes. And, you know, on the Democratic side, you know, sure, Trump gets some sympathy and, you know, he gets to get his message out. But if he isn't able to show up to his events, that might start becoming bad for him as well. All right. So let's let's try to okay, let's let's, you know, circle this wagon train here. Here's what we've heard. Trump is having kind of a tough time, but his his dedicated fans are still really dedicated if even if that thing is not that group is not growing. 
and Republicans are just like really not thrilled when it comes to talking about him. Not thrilled at all. <laughs> right? So, Tarini, when it comes to 2016 and Trump, do we really know anything? We know nothing when it comes to Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think anybody knows. He changes what he says so quickly. He changes what he's going to do so quickly. It just, no one knows. No one knows. No one knows. <laughs> and that's something that gives him something that nobody else running for president has ever really had before. All right, Jereen, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, Evan. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer, who wants to make America great again by bringing us thousands of years into the future where we no longer have bodies and our patriotic spirit is stored in the cloud. Catherine Miller will make America great again by abolishing fluorescent lighting. And Eleanor Kagan will restore our greatness by making it socially acceptable to go to bed early. Julia Furlan wants to make America great again by dancing like no one's watching. And Antonia Sarahito will do it by banning tall people who stand in front of you at concerts. Our music was composed by Beauty Pill, who will make America great again by looping the greatest parts of America to play over and over under a fat beat. Find us on iTunes, on Twitter, we're at BuzzFeed, Paul, and you can email us at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. I'm your host, Evan McMorris Santoro, and I'll make America great again with unlimited salad and breadsticks. We'll be back next week with more things we don't know.